I've got something I want to play for you. Lolita. Light of my life, fire of my loins. These are the opening lines to Vladimir Nabokov's 20th century classic about a middle-aged academic who falls in love with a 12-year-old girl. This epic of obsession, published in 1955, was brought to the silver screen first by Stanley Kubrick in 1962, and second in 1997 by English film director Adrian Lyne. It is the latter production which is currently on movie, but we're going to take a more holistic view of the Lolita narrative and its various incarnations. So, of that narrative... Our perverted protagonist, Professor Humbert Humbert, first sets eyes on Lolita, or Lo for short, during a house viewing. He ends up moving in and marrying the landlady to get closer to her daughter. Lolita's mother throws herself into oncoming traffic upon discovering Humbert's private journal and his true intentions, conveniently leaving Humbert free to pursue his transgressive tryst, a coercive love affair masquerading as an intimate father-daughter bond. But it's not the curiosity of concerned onlookers that catches Humbert out, but a fellow predator, Claire Quilty, a shadowy playwright who snatches Lolita, leaving Humbert heartbroken and hungry for blood. You're listening to MoobTube, a safe haven for soft boy cineasts. (laughs) Owen, let's begin with the 1997 version. Did this new low light up your loins? (laughs) Uh, Spoken like a master. And it's it's weird, because... Even though we're talking about 1997, I want to talk about uh, Lolita as a cultural artifact, mm-hmm. um, which is important not to lose sight of because that's what it's become. Yeah, you know, everywhere from like Harajuku in Japan to like you know a handbag or whatever. It's it it's kind of uh, pre- it's so prevalent in our culture and our idea of, of perhaps the wrong thing. The problem with Lolita is that it was written and has kind of been subjected to half a century of misreadings. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of often uh, quite quite suggestive and quite weird misreadings um, and a lot of that comes down to I think our failure and it's something I think we'll talk about but our failure to kind of can understand Humbert Humbert as a, a, as a uh, problematic um, and untrustworthy narrator mm. um, and this 1997 film um, came after Kubrick's uh, 60s effort um, a film that was actually written by uh, Nabokov, or he, Nabokov was involved in the screenplay for the original. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of fresh, hot off the heels of him actually writing the book. Uh, it had a very tortured publication history. Uh, was banned multiple times uh, for different reasons. France was particularly, and France has a very complicated relationship with kind of allowing certain books and not. So Ulysses famously was the safe haven where uh, James Joyce found a home for Ulysses. Uh, through a pornographic publisher um, and Lisa's suffered the same kind of fate and it's curious to me because when the original Lolita was released by Kubrick the marketing campaign had this kind of quite compelling um, uh, strap line which was how did they make a film of Lolita mm-hmm. um, and it, that has a couple of shades to it one of which is stylistic and formalistic because Lolita as a novel is uh, not Nabokov, if we can use like the proper pronunciation, <laughs> we can have that debate about whether it's Nabokov or Nabokov or whatever. Um, and it formally, stylistically, is a very florid, very complicated, nuanced. Uh, you started reading it last week, yes, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah never yeah. read it before. Never read any Nabokov before. Here we go. So you're, you're got, you've got fresh eyes. I've used to be kind of mildly obsessed with Nabokov. Um, 
And so, yeah, so this it's florid and complex and literary and, and off-putting. A lot of people found it quite off-putting for its its kind of self-conscious art. I almost said artisanal there. <laughs> I was so brain-pilled, uh, poisoned. Um, but it's also by its subject matter, right? And its subject matter is about the the abuse, the horrific abuse uh, subjected to a teenager or a young child, basically. Presented in a very um, eroticized, glamorized mm. way to the point that you you're invited to feel sympathetic towards complicit. someone who is implicit yeah. towards yeah. someone who's uh undeniably causing harm and yeah because this is this is who humber, humber is and i think i'm not going to play the, the game where we say well neither film is is faithful to the novel uh, whatever but there's interesting things which nabokov in his his great grace and his his intelligence to 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 horror and trauma and abuse something that like reoccurs through all his books um is the loss of innocence mm. um and people being robbed of innocence whether by political powers or by by the kind of machinations of of, of animals and monsters mm. um and in the novel there is no no confusing the idea that humber humber is a is a uh, unreliable, difficult narrator, and part of the reason is because in the novel, the novel is prefaced by a uh, psychologist's intro, because these are the notes that have been found after Humbert Humbert has died of pulmonary disease in hospital, um, and so the 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 initial narrator, whether we believe that's the implied narrator or whatever, uh, tells us about his kind of clinical history um, and kind of sets us up to believe that what we're about to read is a is a biased, poisoned narrative. Um, and we learn through the book as well that Humbert Humbert was a psychiatric patient many times, um, had tried this before. Lolita was not his first um, uh, victim, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then we enter the world of Lyons' film, which is ver- a very sensual uh, film, a very erotic film in yeah. a lot of ways. And I don't, th- I don't think, are those the right words to describe it? Because it, it uses erotic and visual language, this erotic visual language, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think Lyons... So I think Lyne's film is the most faithful to the novel, but Kubrick's film is the most faithful to the spirit of the story. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think yeah. that um, one of the critics said that it was uh, Lamakov's black humour mm. that is missing from Lyne's adaptation. Lyne's reads very straight. It's a very not, f- not And I funny think film. that's partly yeah. what compromises it because you're mm. not only... It's fine to have the the kind of you know oh her soft legs i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say it right because it's it's much it's again it's like if you say that sort of stuff without being really good at writing then you end up just sounding like a stupid idiot creep like he by being Mm. by by using language in this excuse me red wine burp um by using uh language in this really um enticing and disturbing way that nabokov does Mm. uh you manage to um, you're morally in a better place. Mm. Uh, I don't know why that is. It's just like it's like Humbert Humbert is 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 playing the cards of the. Yeah. He's basically you know one of the, the ways he gets close to to low to Lolita is he he kind of hoodwinks and fools uh, her mother, Mrs yeah. Hayes, um, Charlotte Hayes, and she in the book and in the films is presented as being uh, uh, attracted to the kind of qualities of European intellectual, which is what she believes Humber Humber is because yeah. he's you know, teaching at Beardsley College or whatever. Um, and she's kind of allured by his kind of uh, 
Frenchified ways. And in, in the film, in Lion's film specifically, one of the things he does is he kind of, he makes he makes out um, the the mother to be more of a more of a doofus than she kind of is like you know very easily hoodwinked a bit of a fool and she's just like paints her nails and kind of mispronounces French and she's very but she's kind of our she's kind of like the the reader in a way who's being and kind you barely of see duped. her really in mm. that in in Lyons film she I don't think she's performed very well but I also no. think like. She's like a bit of a doll, isn't she? Yeah. She's just like she's she's kind of towed up, like dolled up to the nines, and she's but she's she's fooled. She's hoodwinked by Humbert, and she she kind of projects onto Humbert all these beliefs about how sophisticated Europe is, which is what happens to the reader when they read Lolita. Is that we, you know, Humbert Humbert is is trying to fool us, and he he addresses it very directly. He nods and winks to the reader throughout. He says, "Ladies and gentlemen of the jury," mm. he's addressing you. He's on the stand. He's, he's defending himself. He's like fucking Saddam Hussein, um, you know, on his his trial. Which is that is, what Saddam did? He he did. He before my time. The, if before your time, um, <laughs> if you watch the excellent BBC episode four of the new BBC like drama uh, drama story documentary about. Iraq. Mm. It's got a, a specific episode which focuses on Saddam. I know we're going way, way off piece <laughs> but in terms of like playing to the audience, had, digression. yeah, it's a huge digression. Um, but he played to the audience, and it showed that like he used court as a theatre, which is exactly what Humbert Humbert is doing mm. with this the, the novel. So when we kind of go to Lyons' adaptation, what we're missing is we're missing the very obvious work that shows that this is an unreliable narrator. So all mm. we've got is you know these scenes are erotic but we're not getting the erotic fed through uh, maybe it's an impossible task but we're getting the erotic fed through the camera not Humbert's gaze um, yeah there seems to be a very naive assumption in the light in the Adrian line film about what it is to be cinematic and um, it reminded me somewhat of um, the great Gatsby uh, as adapted by Baz Luhrmann quite oh, the recently latest yeah, one, yeah with with Leonardo DiCaprio which actually which what it shares with this Lolita adaptation is like quite long excerpts of voiceover from the narrative yeah these little interceptions to kind of realizing it's not doing much extra juice so it's like shit we better yeah explain. so it, yeah. it's like it's making up it's com- it's overcompensating which mm. Nabokov it's so bait to me <laughs> Sorry, I should finish. The, I should finish the previous sentence. Um, it's overcompensating, like for like what you should be able to do with cinema. It's a simple show don't tell thing. Like why, if you're adapting a book, why the hell would you need to read bits of the book in mm. your adaptation of the book? It's a kind of laziness. Yeah, because the book. I mean, there are little bits in the in the Kubrick film which are like letters and stuff that mm. have been have come from there. I'm approaching this in a very filmmaker way because I am a filmmaker. Like I've always said this about this podcast. Like we're we're filmmakers and we're fans more than we are critics. Like we're we're yeah. thinking about these films. Like what do we like and like what would we do differently? And yeah. I do think that with the Lion film, it's like a really naive assumption. It's it's almost like it's been made as a like a as a film to show English like GCSE English students 100% they're going to wheel out the like, TV yeah, yeah, yeah. they're going to wheel out the like, TV and go you know oh. when they bring out the TV on wheels at yeah. school and That's what, this is what it is it's the apotheosis of that the, process the interactive like, whiteboard for younger listeners yeah, this is, yeah as you remember or the zoom call for the, you know, um, <laughs> the COVID generation the generation screwed over by the COVID grades yeah um, um, but yeah it is like that it's like some sort of sort of like edXL guide to like how to understand like how to like makes yeah. it easier to read the book i was like i was mm. flicking through the book um while i was i was watching the line film on my laptop and i was just like i was kind of checking the book for dialogue because yeah. there were certain bits that were so poorly performed that i just assumed that the lines were so bad that they By would shift. that they weren't yeah, in the book screen right here yeah and then i would like and then i looked in the book 
And I was like, oh no, she does say that. Yeah. And, then I, was, and then I was like, oh, actually, like, lines are not that important. Like, mm. it's about all the things you build around the lines. Yeah, it's, it's the context. And also, um, one interesting... It, it, basically, Nabokov uh, moved his family from, Europe, from Germany to America. He uprooted himself. He went to a college and taught in a college. He taught at Cornell, I think, eventually, um, and taught an excellent course in Russian literature, which you can actually like, buy his lectures, and they're incredible. Um, like, not particularly like scholastically sound, but interesting takes on like the Russian classics. Um, and one of the interesting things to understand about Nabokov is that he he felt that uh, he he was kind of in a way trapped in his childhood because he um, came from a very aristocratic Russian family. Um, he has your pizza arrived. No, it hasn't. I was just okay. checking if it has. That's that's actually a direct quote. That's a famous <coughs> Nabokov book, Has Your Pizza Arrived? Um, so he came from a very arist- aristocratic family, um, had an idyllic upbringing. Um, obviously, the Russians of the kind of early early 20th century sort of had a dasha in the countryside. Uh, his parents were very educated and worldly. His first language was English. He spoke English before he spoke Russian, spoke French mm. before he spoke Russian. Um, he's very Europeanized. He was sundered from his homeland, he believed, by the revolution. His family fled and kind of lived in penury in uh, Germany and then France. Um, And then he uh, left to America. Um, That coloured him in a lot of ways because a lot of his books are about this this abandoned, this, this, uh, this destroyed past that he can never attain. And the nostalgia kind of rings all of his books. And there's a lot of places places in his novels, so The Real Life of Sebastian Knight, for example, in that case, that character, the protagonist, kind of passes through this painting, like this mystical veil into his childhood and into Eastern Europe um, and dies in the process. And it's this kind of fantastical returning. Um, and it's the same with Dar, which is the gift, um, his last Russian language book, which is all obsessed with, with this kind of tragic, fatal past that he could no longer recover. Um, so for him, like the loss of innocence isn't just like a passing fancy with Lolita. This is like a, a major life's theme. This is the theme of his work. Mm. This is the, the core of his obsession. But he goes to America and he falls in love with it. It's something about the kind of kind of dumb optimism of American culture in the 50s that he's really attracted by. And he loves gas stations. He loves mm. motels. He loves Americana. He loves lollipops and milkshakes and pop stars. He comes really weird. He loves it more than Americans do. He does, because he's seeing it as an outsider. Yeah. So in a way, Lolita is also a love letter to America, strangely. Yeah. It's also that. I think it is also that. So when you read the book, it's an incredible document of these road trips, which actually Nabokov himself took across America and took his family, because his thing was Lepidoptera. It was like hunting for butterflies, right? Uh-huh. So he dragged his family, Vera and his son, across America hunting for butterflies. So in a way, this is kind of like his journey as well. And I'm not like crossing those streams. It's not to say that I'm not even going to like touch on it. Like Novikov is not a pedophile and doesn't make him a pedophile bar in this book. And this was one of the misreadings. You know, when you see, when I was reading through old newspaper reviews of the book, when it came out, um, either people think Nabokov is a decadent aesthete and pedophile, or they believe that Humbert is just a sympathetic character. And yeah. it took a while critically for Lolita to be seen as a victim. And it's really interesting to read certain reviews, uh, you know, where they... People are almost saying, telling on themselves. Yeah, they By really saying are. that, like, 
yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like there are reviews where people are like oh well you know it's really a story about a man like not being able to kind of like uh, hold back on his lusts you know keep it in his trousers and it's like it's, it's not like, a book dude, about like, a man if that's what you think that's about then that's maybe what yeah. you are yeah so it's kind of weird like he tapped into something else uh, in American culture and it's kind of sexualization of youth um, so it must have been very shocking for, for Novikov which was quite a stick in the mud and quite a uptight um, European can I say something about the, the pedo sympath- sympathy aspect of it yeah go on um, so in both films by Kubrick and by Adrian Lyne the actor who played Lolita was aged 16 yes and the character of Lolita in the book is 12 mm-hmm. now big difference. part of the um, part of the reason uh, part of the uh, probably part of the reason for that casting is that the film spans about four years, and the amount of aging that takes place brings them to about sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, brings yeah. them about to sixteen. So you you want to have an actor. The other reason would be that there are certain intimate scenes where it would be quite inappropriate, quite problematic. More so to, in the Adrian yeah. line. I don't think they actually kiss and or or touch much. I mean, the, yeah, it was it was a sixties film. film still and had to yeah, be coded. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Hayes code, interestingly, is the Hayes code. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> different controls. spelling of Hayes. Uh, but, um, but yeah, um, so I guess what am I saying here? I guess I'm saying that like the, so it's not really great for a 50 year old person man to be having a wank over a 16 year old girl. But I would say it's like definitely a lot worse over a 12 year old mm. girl in the way that it's definitely a lot worse if it's an eight year old you know yeah, I mean? like there is a, there is some a, difference there. Weird, and i think that using a 16 year old mm, actor who could you could imagine could be possibly a, it's complex territory older, though, yeah a, it because can, they are subjecting a you know obviously that yeah in a book you can write anything yeah book you anything but obviously 16 is the is the age of, of of consent and it's the age of of sexual maturity so we believe Culturally, I'm not disputing that. It sounds like some sort of conspiracy theory <laughs> podcast. It's really not. Please don't listen to that part and think I'm uh, arguing otherwise. Um, but the casting and in, in the production, it's, it's complicated. I was watching it thinking, because I Googled it when I was watching it. I was like, how old was uh, the actor when in the line film when she was cast? And I was like, she's 16. Sort of, sort of probably, you know, and it, it's complicated. Like, how do you really film that? It's, it's You're very like, this is probably her first film. She's very like new to Hollywood and you're cast with this older mature actor I'm sure it was very professional on set but it does raise certain it's a bit like that bit in the Brass Eye Peter Geddon episode where they do a historical reconstruction of what paedophilia would look like but with a a 21 year old (laughs) actor and they say like in real life her breasts would be small like a boy's (laughs) (laughs) why don't you fancy my son yeah like (laughs) it would be (laughs) I mean like like I say I don't think it's acceptable Um, to sexualise people who are 16 but clearly a 16 year old girl like has a very different effect visually Mm. to a 12 year old girl um in that like that it is it's it's like less um um you know like it's 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 less it's just a bit less disturbing yeah a lot less disturbing to to have to have to have to see a 12 year old yeah Yeah. have to have an actual 12 year old girl or a girl that looks 12 in that role would genuinely Mm. be like it would be really frightening i think i think i think the the book is frightening because the book is doesn't the, the book, book is, is about a twelve-year-old. Yeah, the book is about a twelve-year-old. The book is also a lot more inside. Even even though Humber Humber is um, 
trying to to sympathy for the devil he's trying to show that he's an innocent party and he was he, he's an honest and good man i can't help still describing in kind of anatomical detail those those seductions mm. um and it's in the book in the lead up to their first like the first rape um there is a lot of his like masturbatory behavior in the house in the Hayes household which is him rubbing himself on her when she's asleep so this is very graphic but and, and kind of like rubbing himself on sofas and kind of finding all these ways to like come to well come um and it so you see that and you see this kind of predatory monstrous thing whereas Jeremy Irons who is excellent as Humbert Humbert in this because yeah. it's like the role Jeremy Irons was born to play this creepy uh, <laughs> I could marry my son um, man um, he we that and see reading that. the wasteland he does like a really good T.S. Eliot reading so he does really of good course he does because he occupies the wasteland Irons are the cruelest man um, he he sort of like it seems like this 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 dupe and this kind of bumbling idiot in lines film and he's yeah. it's, you know very much Alita is cast as the the seductress in lines film um which is something which Humbert Humbert argues in the book but we have all this like padding to show that that's not the case yeah that's you the know? thing about the unreliable narrator is that Phil it's harder to do it's much mm. harder to do unreliable narrator in a film and therefore you need to go to comedy mm. because comedy yes, creates yeah. a distance and that's what's really good about the Peter Sellers character and I just want to Quilty like, in yeah, the original Quilty in the original form. played by yeah. Peter Sellers who um, who kind of plays these weird practical jokes yeah. on um, on uh, Humbert Humbert I mean also just another thing to say about the script with Kubrick like the script was, with, for Kubrick's film was written by Nabokov mm. and it show it's really show, it's really telling mm. that Nabokov felt confident enough working in cinema to radically change his mm. script to make it better yeah. for film yeah. and uh, adjust things and alter things almost it seems like he knew that Peter Sellers was going to play Quilty the way that mm. he gets him to do all these different roles this very campy very very yeah. Peter Sellers yeah film. And, and, and and like whereas Lyon doesn't have the guts to no. the Quilty character in in Lyon's version of the film is this mustachioed kind of sinister character and at the mm. end there's flashes of him kind of trying to imitate Sellers in a way this absurdity like you it's know it's so when, grim the, it, the Quilty performance is just absolutely it's, shit. it really descends into farce it's so shit end, and he, but not it? fast yeah. in a good way like he's no so bad farce, this, yeah. he's kind of like for the first few times you see Quilty you don't even see him there's like kind of a, a bolt of lightning and a smoking cigar like that's not how life is no you know, and no, it's not true to the rest of the film it's like a student p- p- production yeah. or something it's like it's we need terrible. to show an evil guy so here his face is obscured by a trilby and it's and it, it, it does all this stuff whereas you know uh sellers in cubic's version of the film yeah. brings it to life and he answers this absurdity you know that like you said and he's Q- likable in a very strange likeable, way quilty yeah. is because he's so funny mm. you just think and because you don't realize that he's um, predatory. He's the face of the monster initially. that Humbert can't show. Exactly, because, and yeah. So you see, you see, basically, Humbert and and Quilty are kind of the same person. They're both, um, they both have the same like conf- controlling, of- violent, yeah. predatory urges, and but like one of them is presented as a as a kind of a good comic guy. Figure. I think that's pizza. Welcome back, listeners. Yeah, I, we just had some pizza. The pizza we're we're right, the halfway through. Um, and we've cracked open a bottle of Malbec and we're talking about Lolita 
What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I'm actually, yeah. Right now, now the alcohol's flowing. I wanted, I wanted to say this though because I suppose we're, I suppose the thing about this yes. podcast, regular listeners will have sensed the vibe that uh, I feel like this is this is an arm of both of our multifaceted practices, and I guess the project, amongst other things, is to find like a a, a comfortable place for. I guess straight male spectatorship in a world in a changing in a changing world <laughs> in like a world you know like to try and sort of uh... it, we're, we're trying to work through um, I kind of work work the male gaze backwards a little bit go on say more so I think we it's interesting how kind of quite a lot of the films we've chosen or because obviously movies it provides like a kind of select curation of films. We yeah. still choose, there's still an element of choice there, which is just picking out certain films over mm. others. Um, and actually we're going to choose more salacious films or more kind of controversial films, whether in that, that impulse in itself is quite interesting. Um, we reviewed Eight and a Half and Love and... Love, you know, and sort of Showgirls, which all show have girls. the, you know, the male, male, the kind of male perspective is, is, inter- is interrogated or shamed. And I think one, one of the, key parts of this project for us has been trying to talk about like uh kind of work back our feelings and kind of work back and uh, you know sort of our, our real responses to things and kind of mm. interrogate uh ideas of maleness i think and mm. uh through these films which often center maleness um don't necessarily problematize it but center at least um i think that's part of it for both of us and you know you, you as a practicing filmmaker you're that's front and center for you to make film, you know, how do you make films about intimacy and specifically like male heterosexual intimacy and love. Um, And I think that's, or things like desire and need and love have been at like, I know we're now kind of reviewing your films, but whatever, but the center of things like, you know, your, your thousand and one nights, um, uh, I was about to say elegy, but your, 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 what's the word? Like, uh, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy with elegy. Elegy, yeah. To it and and big dick elegy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like why shouldn't we call it that? The podcast has had a radical change of name. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine if the podcast was called Big Dick Elegy. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a, um, a, a website uh, which does, which I find really interesting. We're kind of going off piece here a little bit, but oh it's fine. God. And there's a website where men will. It's not Mr. Skin, is it? I don't know if it's Mr. Skin. It's where men review each other's dick pics. Okay, no, it's not that. Um, and it's actually, I went on this website because I found the idea really curious. And I was like, okay. And it's it comes from this like, in, like the desired center dick pic in itself is an interesting one. Uh, I don't do it. Uh, haven't done it. But I, 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 I sent one once. Sent one once. And it's a kind of an interesting impulse because it's it's often something that's quite ridiculed or whatever. And it's, I suppose there's a, there's a, obviously often I imagine it is very creepy, but there's also an uncertainty about how men can kind of sexualize their own bodies in a appealing way and they don't really know how to do it. And this site is a surprising uh, a kind of community of really good support. It's like guys giving each other tips about their, how they can improve. And it's really supportive. It's like, hey, King, you know, like, great you know great shaft like looking great and it's this weirdly supportive community and it's just really odd being in this space because it's just very supportive and it's just like Aww, they just kind nice. of want reassurance they just want like a virtual hug about is their dick pic okay well dick pics were yeah. always about reassurance i mean mm. every time i've wanted to send one and uh, and the one time i did send one there was definitely a thank sense. you for that by the way it was <laughs> really 
<laughs> it was really appreciated. A bit weird um, in the middle of the night, but fine. Um, eight out of ten. Well, you know. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, <laughs> Should we get back to the, the film about Peter Shelley and Rain? Um, yeah. So, where were we? Okay. Where, so you were, you were saying very nice things about my work. And before that, we were talking about the podcast, which um, which is mm. called MoobTube. And it is, you know, there's the sort of, uh, the kind of, there's a slightly, you know, when, when we write copy for the episodes, there's a bit of a Top Gear energy. We're sort of, uh, you know, the boys are investing, you know, it's, it, it, it's just like, because it's such a cliche for like two men to get together and do a podcast about movies, I suppose we're sort of mm. like leaning into that and thinking about uh, ways in which we can be like similar but different, like sort of like yeah. be be what we are and be oh, with yeah. be with our That's desires as, as as spectators, but also like sort of like be a bit mindful and acknowledge mm. how that happens. But while but not being ashamed, just enjoying it, and that's sort of what I was getting at with my horny horniness essay which was sort of trying to say like okay yeah like the male gaze is dominated and it's caused a lot of you know it's like it's really it's sort of unfair what's like what's happened but also like as a man I'm a straight man like I what, sort of what do you do this sort of a, this like <clears throat> there are times when this a kind of oppressive worldview sort of uh, affirms my desires mm. um but there's other times where the the reaction can can crush can crush that because it's you know it's to work against the idea that the the male perspective is irrelevant and invalid, mm. um, and I think often it's shut out um, in particular online spaces. And I think and I think it's specifically online spaces because in the real world people actually have much more frank and open conversations. Yeah. And this stuff doesn't happen, but online it's very much like you're a man, shut the fuck up. Um, yeah i do i do think it's that's a bit of a taboo to say that but mm. i i've definitely felt that like yeah within the the sort of narrow field that we operate in like lefty art politics there's like there, there's like a sort of a, a shame that you need to just you need to if you're a man you sort of just preface mm. everything with shame and shame is negative it's sort of leveling everyone yeah. down to imposter syndrome yes yeah. um but i don't i mean i mean this is weird but it doesn't really have a bearing on like specifically later but i think with Lolita, it's interesting because, like, that's why we're talking about Lolita as a cultural artifact. Because um, Nabokov, when he created this film, and I presume Kubrick, and I assume Lion as well, kind of knew the game here, which is that Humbert Humbert is unequivocally a monster, an abuser, and it's just so happened that in our cultural, the cultural reception of Lolita, that she has kind of become shorthand for a coquettish seduction mm. um and it's very strange because people are playing to he you know humbert humbert is playing to the court and people listened they stood up and applauded him and again you know one of the key themes throughout the films and the book is is in a way and line doesn't do it particularly well i think he doesn't do that that huge void at this the huge void at the center of the book is the absence of lolita it's a book of, all about lolita but it's mm. she doesn't appear she never voices herself um, she, it's entirely authored through Humbert Humbert's gaze and his pen, um, and people have fallen for it to the point, like I said, where the literature just comes now to me in kind of uh, jail bait uh, seduction. That's interesting. You know? So you think I don't know much about the book because I've only just started reading it, but there's um, because he's an unreliable narrator, mm. he um, 
or like I guess any any narrator is kind of unreliable in that you don't know you're just seeing it from that person's perspective but clearly it's quite a contentious thing and you can sort of sometimes the way someone tells a story you can start to make your own conclusions about how the people they're describing really felt about what happened and I guess I mean when I was reading it I'm not not trying to be morally superior here but like yeah (laughs) when I was reading it I I very much read his description of her behavior where it was described as being like seductive and cockteasy I was like always aware that also like he was in the position of power and he was the one kind of pushing post facto like he's the one who has already had like this he's this he's got this obsession with younger girls yeah and he's pressing the pressing all that well, he does. Her. I mean, Lion's film does um, kind of acknowledge this in, in a way because at the beginning, when we see a moment where a Humbert Humbert is beginning to write his memoirs, and he looks down through the window, and it's quite a good scene actually. And he looks and he sees Alita hugging her friend, who's also a young girl. And at that moment, he starts kind of unloading on his theory of nymphettes, mm-hmm. which is actually a neologism that kind of uh, Nabokov coined. In yeah, writing never heard it the before. Book. Yeah, it's a very specific thing, and there's there's quite a lot of pages that are devoted in the book to kind of Humbert Humbert, kind of in an anatomical way describing the 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 kind of genealogy of nymphets to him. It's a very specific. It's obviously he's describing a kink basically, and he's describing the the real particularities of this kink. I to hated him. that bit. It's I mean, awful. it's really well written, but it's, it's just really well it does written. make you sick. It's skill. It's skin crawling, and that's the thing. And it's like you don't get that in you don't get that in either film. Because I suppose because it's, it's it's not cinematic. It's not cinematic, and that's saying because this is a movie podcast, right? But I said movie. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um it's it's a film podcast, it's a movie podcast, and it's hard to express those things. But in the book, the overriding feeling you get is it is of a predator and a monster who's very mm. calculated, um, and who is this unreliable narrator who's telling us after the fact that yes, yes, in fact Lolita uh, seduced me. Um we know that's not true in 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 the you know that's the fabula of the story it's not the mm. actual real thing it's somebody's account um and the yeah line doesn't really give us that he does have a moment like i said where there is this voiceover and humbert humbert jeremy irons is writing this um these notes and he t- begins to talk about the, the the idea of this nymphette and we get this little flashback to um humbert humbert's youth and his love with, of annabelle who's this girl and it's when he lives in europe and this girl dies of typhus and that's a, a thing from the book as well um i can't remember is that in the kubrick film the, the genesis of his no kubrick film completely avoids remember. all of that stuff there are no the i mean most of the kubrick film is a flashback from the moment where he kills quilty but mm. um there are no further flashbacks okay well i can't I really i i should have watched it again it's been i watched it kubrick film years ago um but yeah so we get we get this this uh moment where he is in kind of flashback we see Annabelle we see this early love which was quashed and he the way he describes it the way he justifies it is his his attraction to Lita is simply the realization of this old fossilized mm. love um which is part of the Hummer's madness in he's like I, I'm fine I'm harmless I'm just projecting something <laughs> a past trauma onto a completely unsuspecting 12 year old girl What's exactly possibly could be wrong with that um and I think the the funny thing about Lion's film is it does everything it can to make Lolita as a character feel um, 
annoying. Yeah, she's much more of a yeah. bitch yeah. in in the line film. Which mm. again, I just think that the line film is like the line film has this uh, sickly devotion to like being true to the book. Mm. Um, which, as I said before, is absurd because the author of the book wrote a screenplay for yeah. a film that was much better. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but, like, secondly, like, when you try and put a a square rod into a circular hole, like, you know, you end up losing a lot of the moral the moral dignity of, yeah. of what Nabokov was after. And yeah. I guess, that, I mean, that comes back to the fact that in the book... Um, I think this happens in all three incarnations, but it's significant in the book that the final line of part one, it's in two parts, the book, and the final line uh, describes an argument that they have after he's revealed that he's revealed to Lolita that her mother has died. Yeah, in this car accident. Yeah. Or suicide. And and he says that they had a fight, uh, but that the fight was resolved... Uh, mm. And the word, the final, set, the final words of part one are uh, because she had nowhere else to, to go. go. Yeah, and that line is repeated in the line, word for word, in the line film. Very much, yeah. But it doesn't. Um, uh, it's something about that line being the very last few words mm. of part one. Yeah, and that really That's foreground, like, like literary, like like you know how it is when you read a cha- James Baldwin does this particularly well. Like when a chapter finishes, the last few lines are always like of a, of a particular chapter are always like Oof, like yeah, everything is encapsulated Stone is there. Sink- Stone is sinking, and yeah, exactly. And he, what he's saying there is his his entrapment is complete. So it's like she does make choices, mm. um, and that's a really good literary way of of. Of saying yes, Lolita did make some choices here. Yeah, she sure. wasn't completely like, um, like being forced to do everything she did, but like, like there's a slight tacit acknowledgement from this narrator that yeah, the whole situation that's been created has basically meant that what else can she yeah, do? Who she, like where else is she going to get a livelihood? By, it's orchestrated by the coward um, Humbert Humbert because he. I mean, his his fa- his dream is to kill. And he acknowledges this in Lines film, which is to kill. Uh, ideally, is to kill the mother, uh, and he can't bring himself to do that. Uh, he says, um, she ends up finding out about his his hmm. his diary. Um, he gets what he wants. He gets what he wants, and she dies. She's struck by a car or throws herself in front of the car. However, we read that. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think it is an accident. I think it's an honest to goodness accident, and it, it kind of plays up the again the the, the cowardice of Humbert Humbert because he's kind of taking advantage of things. He's always one to take advantage of things. He's not he's not a a creator, and he says no beauty about um, him. And I think Nabokov's disdain for Humbert Humbert is very clear in the book, and it's not clear in Lyons' film. Um, and the stiff preposterousness of James Mason in the Kubrick film of just like, I'm James Mason. This is ridiculous kind of preposterous character. We can see the kind of like absurdity of him. But in with Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons chooses to play it. And it's very, he plays it very well because Jeremy Irons is a very good actor. But he plays it in this very, uh, th- like I said, this kind of duped romantic fop. Uh, you know, oh, I'm just a blundering Englishman. This American forwardness is quite peculiar to me you know he's you know so when Lolita first kisses him you know she runs back into the house she's being stolen away to summer camp by a awful bitch of a mother mm. um, 
and she runs back in and kind of jumps on this is the film by the way jumps on uh um jeremy irons and there's a scene where the camera kind of lingers on her body which is what it does when he first sees her in the garden oh. with the sprinkler kind of soaking her making oh, her tro- clothes God, transparent it's, so awful. it's really awful it, it's it's it the film does all this kind of sexualizing it it, it tries to do what the book does but you can't just mm. do that when you're adapting a book you can't just like blow for blow yeah it's not it. it's not a yeah. screenplay you can't no. just go oh her luscious legs Let's get a shot of her legs. Yeah, you know, like that's then literally you're just what doing he does. The thing. Yeah. yeah, like that's not how this is like this imagination you know, works. No, it's not how imagination works. This is the equivalent of like when the CIA were caught out recently for like what was it running the biggest child <laughs> porn server on the internet because they had this honey honey trap thing and it's like really what is that doing? true? Yeah, is that this is true. I might my facts. I don't know if it's necessarily the largest, but they were running this huge like child porn database <laughs> online and our idea was it's like but you're running the biggest best as it were one. It's kind know. of similar with terror right they do yeah. these they, they get these sort of you do a 9-11 they let these people no they don't i'm not saying that but like that's what you're saying. there are people like anjem chowdhury who like yeah yep. someone could just give him a bit of a talking to but they let him do speech we've yeah. got they let the him weapons. do they let him do speeches so that they can take loads of like do lots yeah. of evidence gathering yeah. and then out in the corner of one picture there'll be some guy who like four years later bombs a train yeah um, this is it you hand them the weapons to do you know it's like it's it's the theme of um Chris Morris is actually not great. The day um, shall come. We want to see it come. together. Actually, we should yeah. have done a movie review of that. I the day shall come. The hilariously disappointing Chris yeah. Morris project that was very sincere in, in its aims. <laughs> <laughs> that was just not um, that good. No, and this thing, but the, the the whole theme of that film film is about the kind of FBI creating the terrorists to attack them to mm. arrest them. And it's so gone. How does this relate to Lisa? How does this relate to? <laughs> like I said, <laughs> uh, to be clear, three glasses to be of wine. Um, this film. It kind of yeah, you like I said, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the the texture and the complexity and the nuance of the book, obviously, because it's a film, to show us the, the why this gaze is problematic. It just shows us the gaze, and it shows us these hypersexualized scenes. You know, like I said, when he first goes in the garden, there's this sprinkler on, which is a scene in the book, but again, we see we had all this build up from Humbert Humbert. We've had all of this stuff to know he's a monster and a predator, so he knows an unreliable narrator. Um, obviously he's going to be turned on by any child as it were almost um, and we see the scene and she, her so- clothes are soaked through they've gone transparent it's like this wet t-shirt competition but it's a fucking yeah, child I, I also thought it would so, be with, with the, you, that thing you just said now sorry with that thing you just said about like how he would be attracted to any child I thought that it would have been interesting to cast a really ugly <laughs> teenager <laughs> like it, like because I think this it, that's another okay. aspect of the, of this like problematic fetishization is that they I guess in both films they pick like a bit, photogenic like yeah, yeah like totally you know one you know like you know when you're in school and like there's one there's a one girl who's like t- t- like captain of the netball team you know like really I went to a state school so we didn't have that <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, a bit of class war here. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, yeah, no, like, um, yeah, they pick a really attractive actor to yeah. play Lolita. And actually, yeah. like, I think it would be more interesting to perhaps a bit someone a bit more plain looking, just to so just to show that that desire, because just to just to show that desire in a way that doesn't necess- that isn't this so is, that focused is, we've on come back to that Chris Morris why aren't you attracted to my son <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah because it's really different in a book like in the book you let the you let the viewer imagine yeah um an attractive woman and and and, and 
you know, you read lots of things about like, you're sort of caught between this thing where like you imagine like beautiful feminine knees and legs or whatever, and then suddenly they describe a, a kind of prepubescent chest or something. You know what I mean? Like mm. it sort of Books. weirs between like things that are kind of normally adjusted straight man would find attractive <laughs> and <laughs> things that are like really pedo-y. Um, whereas in a film you have to, you have to, you have to, lock all that stuff into one person's body yeah um and i guess yeah like it would be it's just an it's just too easy to just find a really kind of photogenic uh 16 year old 16 year old chuck her in some small clothes yeah and and get the clothes wet and then show that and i think that's it it's it's like it's actually not really deep it's not really problematizing any of it it's actually just giving people like a wank bank like this is it and this is like uh, who who because like periodically lolita kind of re-emerges uh on twitter and people have the same tired debate about it uh yes please ralph i'd like some more wine um it resurfaces on twitter every now and again and people um talk about you know and it's that i think it came off the back of that tweet where someone was like these are seven signs if you look at a guy's bookshelf that, you know, these are red flags it was like mm. he's got a copy of Anne rand and he's got a copy of which yeah i mean not this red flag but why the fuck would you have that um and it's kind of one of them was lita and it's like absolute red flag if he has like infinite jest and lita and it's one of the things again that's the kind of dumb assumption that you a book from a particular perspective you have it the book condones that perspective the the narrate this is an unreliable narrator it's this is this is that's literary criticism the real red flag is if they is if they listen to moob to you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i don't personally Um, you did a good um on the uh, owen does the twitter for moob to you just in case anyone's wondering ralph does the instagram i I do the instagram um we both have difficult relationships with social media. <laughs> Addicts. Call it what it is. The first um, step of uh, AA is to um, admit you have a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you did a very good movie movie version of that. Yeah, we did. I mean, because again, there are certain films and I think perhaps it's because, and maybe the line is, couldn't have that. So maybe, okay, so let's take it back. Is, are the problems with Line's 1997 version of Lolita are we bumping up against the limitations of the form of cinema here with its failures um, yeah. and its its conflation of of the the camera's gaze with Humbert's gaze without mm. problematizing it? Is that we bumping against what can be done? Is is Lolita an unfilmable film, um, or is it just Lyons' lack of creative vision and his his f- kind of almost farcical belief that he's he's kind of uh, flying so close well it's flying so closely to the text he believes that he kind of burns himself on it yeah i think that it i i wouldn't find the icarus metaphor to be the best because i think it's like i went to state school fuck you (laughs) that's the only one we had i come in peace (laughs) (laughs) um i i just think i just think he it's just yeah. it's just the wrong fit to to try and literalize literature mm. in visual language like that's not the that's not what an adaptation is no like like films good good films of books tend to differ and yeah. like and the no better evidence of that can be found than nabokov's 
script of his own film for Kubrick. Yeah. Talk so about- I, ju- I just don't know why the fuck they they, mm. they bothered, to be talk, honest. I mean, talk, because actually, interestingly, by 1997, the, the furore and the controversy of Lolita had really died down. It just, it'd become a classic, an accepted classic. Yeah, everyone kind of agrees it's Social good mores had moved on to a point where we didn't find it... It wasn't shocking in the way that it was in, in the 50s, because it was shocking the way in the 50s it exposed child abuse in American suburbia in the way the Lynch... Here we're talking about Lynch again. But... Nabokov is doing a very similar project to Lynch in um, like Twin Peaks is 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 the style the style of Twin Peaks is actually a really good parallel for what is happening in Lolita, which mm. is this rot at the core of suburbia, mm. um, which is something that Lynch loves and despises, and it's something that Nabokov loves and despises. But I mean, talk about the cubic version for a bit because I I haven't rewatched it because I'm lazy. Um, uh, <laughs> And I couldn't find a torrent quickly enough. I'll um, send you my file. Okay. Cheers, mate. Um, but tell me about the Kubrick one. Why do you think the Kubrick one works? And why do you believe it's close to the spirit of, of uh, the Bokov's book? I think the reason is that um, trauma and comedy have an interesting relationship in life. And, you know, there's like... Um, if, you do a, if you do a... Um, generally speaking, I, I love to just go into huge generalizations on this show. Do it, do it, do it. Uh, generally speaking, if you're if you've personally experienced something quite horrendous and troubling, you there is a register, not the only register, but there is one register of talking about it that involves humor, and that's because humor is a very necessary release when you are dealing with something painful. It is just too difficult to live life um, holding, um, like holding seriousness around your experiences only. There need mm. there always needs to be a little moment it's where you where you kind of where you have a laugh where there's some dark humor or some absurdity, and so in regards to Lolita. Um, so what I would say there is that like ser- over seriousness or you know around a, around a topic that's quite dark and difficult can often be can do an in, injustice to the truth content of that and so in regards to lolita in the line film you have like this real sort of you have this kind of general atmosphere of moral concern running mm. through it and then you have this kind of these really sincere intense performances and this kind of this this uh, dogged um, ambition to kind of represent the desire in a very visual way and lots of slow yeah. motion and lots of like lens tilt shifts and stuff and it's just it's just over oh, when, when it begins to show Humbert Humbert's paranoia and, and breakdown yeah exactly like the fisheye lenses and, every feeling yeah. it somehow has to be like manifest through some like it's optical it, visual display it's very like uh, lying sitting there and going hey talk, going over to the cinematographer and be like hey mate uh, we just need to show that he's breaking down he's like oh. I know what we've got the perfect fisheye lens for this it's just disastrous um, anyway <laughs> the, the Kubrick film like is quite it's quite made it's made in quite a conventional way cinematographically yeah. like there's nothing particularly innovative there which you know Kubrick knows Kubrick we know we know Kubrick can do innovative cinematography he's playing it straight but he plays it straight yeah. with Alita there's no really unusual shots in it um, it's sort of done like a kind of sort of soft noir kind of vibe um, a quite studio based um, and um and it's funny and it's mm. and it's like there's there's an element of weirdness and there's an element of like 
humor and like the first the first hour of it which i think is basically the best it's a very long film the cubic version isn't it two two and a half hours plus um but yeah the first hour of it has this quality of a fast it's a little bit like watching faulty towers you know the way that he um like tries to look at lolita the way Mm. that he he changed you know he's basically thinks that charlotte's an idiot and yeah. like doesn't want to move in with her and then suddenly he sees this 12 year old girl on the in the grass yeah and, and it's changes this very his bumbling yeah bumbling way whereas it's done in a very uh she's all that seductive way exactly, in the yeah. line film it's done like this he goes to this ramshackle house and it, it again it's just charlotte just is an idiot um and then it has this it's very literal that's the problem yeah, the liter- yeah. literalness of lines film is what is its greatest weakness because like you said, there is a great sta- sound stage quality to mm. um, Kubrick's version, and it's this very staginess, and it's like, like you said, like Faulty Towers, it's this very kind of like slapsticky, in in the same way that like um, Doctor Strangelove was a film, you know, very different context, uh, different world, a film I think has a really similar energy to it, weirdly, um, not just with the presence of Peter Sellers, but is able to evoke something very serious, like nuclear holocaust through this bumbling com- dark comedic light and this film does does a very similar thing mm. and it, yeah like you said it, it's, it's kind of funny and, and that kind of embodies Nabokov's way of um, Humbert Humbert slowly getting his kicks off of Lolita um, and yeah I think that's it I, I think it's just it's this, this halcyon glow around Lyons film that he tries to create and t- he's trying to make a romance out of a paedophilic rape that's the problem. Yeah. That's the heart of Lines film. And it's like, this This is not a romantic film. Stop trying to make it a romantic film. Make it what it is, which is an act of falsification, ventriloquism, forgery. Um, and by Kubrick, like you said, creating a film against the grain of how he makes films, he's himself ventriloquizing a format that he's not completely comfortable with. And I think that's what kind of gives it its, its energy and it's what gives it its grit and makes it work. And that's, I think, the thing with humour that, like... <laughs> Because I don't think I I don't think Adrian Lyne went into making that film thinking oh yeah Humbert Humbert I know how you feel mate oh, fucking hell those little soft breasts yeah like you know he 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 was thinking like oh we should make a film about how nasty this is but mm. bit of more complexity you know make the viewer get a little bit of a hard on as well mm. well yeah, exactly you know, yeah, and that's this exactly. this weird edge lord logic of like you yeah, know just yeah, get, yeah. make them enticed but also show them it's bad and it's like that's not how moral complexity works that's just like that's just like manipulation that's not storytelling Mm. like what Kubrick does is like genuinely um like uses comedy the tool of comedy to 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 bring the 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 moral the depravity actually Mm. depravity comes more fluently than complexity here um but I mean it is complex because it's because life is complex <laughs> but, uh, but I mean you know like it's very like like we've said throughout like it's like it's um, it's a very clear power dynamic and yep. you know um, but yeah like humour humour saves the day here so I think it's an important lesson for anyone you know like trying to thinking about ways to depict um, sensitive topics mm. like actually sometimes you may think that a serious uh, approach is the safest option, but actually humour can really be a lot better for 
Yeah. Um, creating like a creating the, the, the instability. Yeah, creating like a truthful yeah. representation yeah. of yeah. of of moral complexity. Because it keeps you it keeps you on your feet. Yeah. Which is what Cubics Film does, and in the same thing that Nabokov's book does, like actually it has a text keeps you on your toes but both films suffer i think a little bit of a dip towards in the bit in the car where they're being followed and he's kind of mm. dragging her along well, that's a really interesting that's the thing the, how yeah, is I that felt, bit in the book because i haven't got to that bit oh, okay it, it's good because there's this actually that's the, the paranoia of that section is interesting because one of the key themes for nabokov throughout his writing like i said earlier i didn't even allude to it, i said it was his interest in the double and the mirror mm. um he was interested in, in doppelgangers, in um, parallels and mirrors and the kind of mise en abîme of two mirrors facing each other. Mm. Um, in that section, it's paranoid. You know, Lin, Lin shows us uh, Humber Humber, like you said, this fisheye lens sequence. This um, this is where Quilty is kind of pursuing and seducing Alita at the same time. Um, now, in the book, it's just played as Humber Humber's paranoia. Uh, in sorry, in the um, in the film, in Lines film, in the book, there's this interesting. There's still the comedy and the weirdness is still there. It's a language game mm. at that point um, because one, th- it feels like Quilty is actively pers- like leading Humber Humber on um, the uh, he, he, one thing Nabokov uses a lot is anagrams with his own name. Okay, um, so there's like. Uh, in the entries from the motel books, there's like Vivian Darkbloom and stuff like this. There's always like... Um, oh, is that that's Nabokov? Yeah, it's, like, it's Vladimir Nabokov. So there's all these like allusions to Nabokov inserting himself into the text and he's showing that there's like this element of paranoia and this comedy and this weirdness. And it's it, it's that that kind of reverse pursuit that happens in the book is actually a really bizarre kind of reverse road trip it's like an anti-road trip hmm. um and it's it's really enthralling and interesting um because it's unra- the unraveling of uh of humbert humbert but you know whose own name is a doubling is a mirror humbert humbert um mm, you know and it's like it's a it's this weird name it's a weird <laughs> name i mean i've had a lot of characters with weird names to be honest but um it's it's kind of there in the surface of it but Lion's film, it's just like this kind of breakdown, kind of act three of the film. You know, you've got the initial uh, establishing narrative, the seduction, the breakdown, the conclusion. You've got these four kind of chapters, which are then bookended by like this end of film. So we actually don't see, we see, actually, this is, this is the annoying thing. We see Humbert come to only a heroic end. Which is um, how does he kill himself in the line? He kills himself in the line film, doesn't he? Or is he shot? Humbert. Yeah. No, he dies. It tells us in no, the postscript. We, but he, he has this. Um, he has this scene where he's kind of driving down the road, kind of swerving down the road, yeah. chaotically, and he's got the gun that he killed Corthy with in his hand. But he's, he's got like a hair grip as well. Hair. He's got her hair it's grip. Probably it's shown, has. Yeah. Yeah, and it's shown to be this kind of. Um, he's this tragic romantic figure. He's this young Yeah, it does romanticise him. It makes him into a bit of a hero. It really romanticises him. There's nothing romantic about James Mason. It's true, actually. James Mason is kind of, like, quite pathetic and cold. Yeah. Whilst also you do sort of weirdly root for him in the first hour just because it's, like, a funny farce. But, like, it is... But there there is that kind of coldness. And I think that is an important... Again, with the seriousness and and the identification thing, like, getting... Getting the reader or the viewer to identify with 
someone's actions doesn't mean is not the same as trying to get them to support the actions and i think that's probably the mistake that the line film the line film does just try to say to you core look at her course you'd want to do that yeah where uh, which is like really wrong <laughs> could you really blame her? yeah yeah That's whereas Zambakov's book and Kubrick's film are like they just show you how much he wanted that yeah and, and how much they, how willing he was to compromise yeah every, every, every that's norm, all you need to do to do that yeah you don't need to like be, moral complexity is not about like Seriousness. trying to trick your viewer into being a pedophile <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> the ultimate line on this so the line on line is that he's trying to fool his he's trying to basically the line is probably a good person and doesn't actually no, think I'm that sure, but, it's, but just a, right. it's just a misinterpretation of like no this is the Alex Jones thing the, the frogs are making people gay um, <laughs> or the water is making the frogs gay this is the basically line is trying to turn everyone to a pedophile with this film the other thing um, as well is um, that great bit in um I've probably seen the Peter Geddon episode of Brass Eye like <laughs> 10 times or, or more. But Nympho Geddon is what yeah, we should call it. Nympho Geddon is what we should call it. <laughs> there's a great bit, um, like it's like that, the fake ad break, the fake Channel 4 ad break, and it's about this this pedo hunter. Of course, there are now loads of shows like To Catch mm. a Predator and stuff. Yeah. But the premise of this trailer is is this guy... Um, you know, and he says he's like he says they don't need punishment, they need gunishment. And then there's a bit where he says where he talks about his own past as a child abuser, and he says he says um, I know how these people work, I know how their sick minds function. I was one for Christ's sake. I ch- and I shot the pedo in my and like he, there's a video of him shooting himself in the head. Like it's just like and it it just reminded me of like the the bit in Lolita. The reason the thing I referred to in my intro about mm. how Humber is not caught out by any of the kind of bystanders or onlookers he's caught out by another monster. another monster yeah i just thought that that reminds me that of that bit in brass eye where the guy goes i was one for christ <laughs> <laughs> it also reminds me of that monkey dust um r.i.p do you remember monkey dust uh vaguely i think pedo, i watched it the once pedo find a general no i don't know that, no. by the powers vested in me by news corp international <laughs> 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 pedo finder general the pedo finder general but there are shows actually. like this there's that awful show to that catch a predator to catch, i haven't seen the catch a predator that's an american show where a guy like he pretends to i i've never watched it but i've been told that he pretends to be like a 12 year old girl and he like, it's like a catfishing and he chats thing, to pedos yeah. and he says oh meet me at, on the corner of thingy street and then he just like gets the cops and arrests the person it's just like this, that's, is this, this is the FBI thing we were talking that's about. Like so, whatever, like that's so that's so terrible. It's so morally fucked. that I that disgusts me almost that's as much as paedophilia. That's not a preventative like, thing. That's not encouraging people's perverted yeah. desires so that you can kind it's of claim some moral superiority. Moral that is that is that is that's you're, the you're generating. Of humanity. Yeah, you're generating the problem. On that note, on that, <laughs> on sunny, that note. sunny note, we've. Um, We've hit time beyond, like, way beyond hit time. But we need Lita to. Lita has now turned 18. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're allowed to have sex with her. <laughs> God. Um, Shout out to Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's its own. That's a whole. If, if a Woody Allen film, you know, have we cancelled Woody Allen? If it, I, the only the only Woody Allen film canceled, that would cause Woody me Allen. to talk about Woody Allen's private life would be Manhattan. Manhattan, because that is about an older guy who really likes I just the younger find girl. Manhattan insufferable, but that not for the reasons that 
No, not for the reasons I should find it insufferable. <laughs> I find it insufferable because he's just a boorish intellectual. I find that. I think Manhattan's an excellent film. I don't. I mean, I haven't seen it for ages, but that it's just it's. It, we're not it has a very it. beautiful <laughs> opening sequence, actually. Oh the, yeah, with um, George the Gershwin. Fireworks, Gershwin over the city. It's incredible. Like that's the romance of New York is contained in. Yeah, talk about romanticizing things. Yeah. Um, on that note, so this has been MoodTube, um, interrupted by pizza. Interrupted by pizza. Next week we'll be reviewing A Couch in New York by Chantal Ackerman. And we'll have a special guest. Daniel Nyafitu. Friend of the pod. Our regular third mic <laughs> <laughs> will be popping in virtually to give his thoughts on The Couch in New York. Yeah. So uh, peace out. Peace out. <laughs>